Before we jump into the episode, here's a quick disclaimer about our content. The Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice. The views, opinions, and strategies of both the hosts and the guests are their own and should not be considered as guidance from Roofstock. Make sure to always run your own numbers, make your own independent decisions, and seek investment advice from licensed professionals. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Remote Real Estate Investor. I'm Michael Album, and today with me, I have a guest, Alex Jarbo. And Alex is actually doing ground up development for short term rentals out on the East Coast market. So he's going to be talking to us about what that process looks like and all the lessons he's learned along the way. So let's get into it. Alex Jarbo, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to hang out with me. Oh, thanks for having me on, Michael. No, no, I appreciate you. So, Give everybody a little bit of background on who you are, where you come from, and what is it that you're doing in the real estate space? Because I know that it's very interesting. Let's bring everybody up to speed. Yeah. So um, I'm originally born and raised in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my parents live about like, I grew up about in Detroit, and then my parents moved to like 20, 25 uh, minutes north of Detroit. Uh, joined the Marine Corps when I was like 18 years old, did that for like five years. I was stationed in Washington, D.C. Um, by the time I was like time to leave the Marine Corps, um, I had decided that I wanted to be in real estate, got my real estate license uh, in North Carolina, moved to Asheville, North Carolina, um, right out of the military. And then um, I, I sort of dabbled around in real estate, flipping properties. I uh, didn't really like that too much. Did the real estate agent thing for a little bit, made some good money, but I was I was helping investors sort of find vacation rentals uh, instead of me, and I realized like okay, let me let me try like purchasing some. Um, so we had some money saved up, uh, and I went out and started like looking for vacation rentals in this area um, or like properties that would do well as like short term rentals and stuff. Couldn't really find anything um, that wasn't like crazy overpriced. Um, this is like even before like the COVID lockdown. Um, and then, so we just decided to build, we just decided to build our, our, our first cabin, which ended up being an A-frame, um, took, took about a year to get that done just cause we were like our first build and just learning everything. Um, and then from there, like we started renting it out, started doing really well. Um, and then like one turned into four and then four turned into not like next year. So we're breaking ground on four this year. And then we have 24 planned for next year. Holy smokes. It sounds like these cabins are just having like little cabin babies. You know, yeah, two, no, two for sure. Four. It's like we just took <laughs> took took the cash flow and just rolled it into the next four. Took our like uh I took on investment money for the first time with with the like two of the cabins and then all the all the properties we're doing next year are with investment money. So like with like other people's money. So Man, that's freaking awesome. I love how you just said, oh, this thing isn't working over here. So let me just go build my own. Most people say, oh, yeah. it's not working. Like, screw it. Real estate sucks. It's, I can't do it. No, no, absolutely not. And I mean, that mo- the model that we're following now really has been, I mean, like solidified with like with COVID because we had a lot of like out of town people move to this area that are working remote. Um, and that sort of drove real estate. That's driving real estate prices up everywhere. Um, but that drove real estate prices up here and now. And it's like, if I try to go out and find a vacation route right now, like I'm competing with people who also want to live in the home. We build all of our homes as stick built permanent foundation. And the, the reason we do that is just so 
like it's just this a built-in exit strategy there so we we build them as normal like single family house for the most part like they're still built as unique cabins like a frames log cabins something something unique about the architecture um but if like for some reason like five ten years down the road if the city like decides to one like the county one day decides randomly to not allow short-term rentals in the city or the county um then like we do have an exit strategy there so oh that's awesome and so that first one that you built and rented out was that a short-term rental or was that your traditional long-term yeah no it was it was a short-term right out of the gate um uh, we we had designed it as a short-term rental um and then we, we saw how good those numbers were that we were just like I was just, I never really underwrote the property myself. I just figured that we underwrote it as a long-term rental. Like, okay, if it doesn't work out, we could put a renter in there and just cover the mortgage and maybe cash flow a couple hundred dollars. But I mean, the, the cash flow like for October is like five grand for the small cabin. So that's like, that's net in our pocket. So, um, Holy crap. Like <laughs> yeah, I was, I was curious to see, like, I was like, you know, I've never done my numbers on this cabin before because it, it's been renting out for like a year and a half, a little over a year and a half now. I was like, let me let me do like annual numbers and see like what actually would have like if like let me do the cap rate, let me do the ROI and like just with like I didn't have an investor with that property, so like my cap rate was like twenty six percent, and then like my my yeah, and my ROI was like eighty eighty something percent like for the whole year. I'm like, oh okay, I think we it have worked. something here. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's what I put together. I started putting together like a YouTube channel and started talking to some people, um, and like just some like close friends and stuff who who had some money saved up and they wanted to do something. Um, and then I just just pitched them the idea of like doing like right now what we do is like uh, we sort of pivoted from doing like one or two cabins at a time to like doing six at a time. So we do like these small vacation rental complexes, but they're still like stick built permanent foundation homes. But like we we purchased six to ten acres, um, and then we subdivided into three plots, and then we put three primary homes on it, and then three accessory dwelling units, so like mother-in-law suites, um, that are detached, like in the back, uh, like a, maybe like a hundred or two hundred meters away. Um, that way, we get away with doing six um, at the same time, but it's three separate parcels. So, say if we something comes up and we need to sell one of the properties, or say if like an investor wants to back out or something, we can also like give them back their money. Um, but yeah, it's like we we, we um, the twenty four that we're doing next year. We have like four, five, five investors lined up for those for those uh, twenty four cabins, and it's four separate communities. So, man, this is incredible. So, I'm curious on that very first one. Did you finance the build with a construction loan? Did you go all cash? Because I know you, said you didn't have investors. Walk us through how you got that done. Yeah, and I sort of briefly talk about this on my uh, uh, YouTube channel, but we. We started with like a second home loan, essentially. I, I had a, my my license technically was still in Michigan, like where I'm from. And then my wife, um, we, we'd lived separate for a little bit until uh, just like until her job allowed her to work remotely full time. So we were allowed to get away with doing a second home loan, second home loan construction loan, um, just because I had an established residency here uh, in North Carolina. I didn't know if I was going to be here long term either. So technically, like my address was still uh, in Michigan. But um, a lot of people, a lot of hosts that I talk to now, sort of that's how they get into this space, whether it be building or um, with with just purchasing an already built home uh, for vacation loan purposes. They do it as a second home loan and uh, the lenders are fine with it. Like if it's a second home loan, it's rented out as an Airbnb. Um, that's what everyone's doing. It's like they'll stay in it two, three weeks a year. And then for the rest of the time, they'll just rent it out just to cover their mortgage. 
so yeah, that's that's how we started. We did a two-time closed loan, um, which there are negatives and positives to that. So it's essentially a construction loan for a year, and then you refinance into a permanent like 30-year fix, which is what we ended up doing. That's awesome. And so can you walk us through some of the numbers on what did it cost to build? Because I think a lot of people just assume that building ground up is more expensive than buying existing, which is why more people maybe don't do ground up. Right, right. And like a little bit of the head, like headache comes with it if you're just like starting with it. But what it felt like, it fell on us where we were just like, okay, we're either going to overpay for a property that's not 100% perfect and it, it's going to need some work anyways. So we're like, instead of renovating a home for three to six months, why don't we just build one like from scratch and it'll take like 12 <laughs> to 14 months. Um, so well, our our numbers, these numbers were, again, these are numbers that were prior to COVID. Um, so like with like materials and everything going up, but our first cabin, that first cabin we built for 202 and that uh, 202 means it was also like furnished. Um, the land cost about 50,000 and then it cost around like 135, 130,000 to build. Um, it's only an eight, it's like an 830 square foot cabin, um, which sounds small, but if you actually like, um, if you actually see it, like it's, it's an open floor concept, pocket doors everywhere. So no doors are opening in and out. We just really tried to optimize the space. Like, it's funny, like we just, the, the furniture sort of decided what, when you're building these cabins, like these smaller cabins, the furniture like decides what the house sort of looks like. So it's like, you have to like have your furniture planned out before you start designing the home. But yeah, we that that co- it costs around like two hundred two, two hundred three to build and furnish, um, and then yeah, we we start we just started renting it out. We we've been we've been a hundred percent occupied for the last year and a half. I mean, b- besides maybe like a one or two days that we've taken for like maintenance days or like um, to just do some like extra work on the cabin. Um, uh, like I already mentioned, my cap rate was like twenty five percent for that first year without an investor. Um, and then my ROI was about like 80%. So well, our, so like the nice thing about our market, um, which if I do decide to invest in a different market is this market is year round, um, here, like people like to be in the mountains year round. We, we have the, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. So we have like the breweries here, but we also have like the, the Biltmore estate, which people actually come for like in the winter and stuff. People like to hike in the winter too. So, um, with, yeah, it's like, I, I accidentally stumbled upon like a, a year round market. Now we do have like busier seasons and stuff. So like October, November, in my opinion, are our are, are busiest seasons because of leaf season. Like with all the, the leaves changing colors, it just like turns like yellow, orange, reds and stuff. So oh that's incredible. So while you were talking, I just pulled up my calculator and ran the numbers on your dollar cost per square foot, which is about a, 160 bucks a square foot. Yeah. And I would say right now, um Pricing out these other properties that we did, it's closer to 200 a square foot, okay. um, which is a, a pretty big jump. Um, but it's nothing, it's nothing like compared to like if you're building in like California, um, like our, our lender that we're using now for the, the bigger projects next year, they're based out of California. And it's like my entire six, six unit project is about like a $2 million build compared to like something in California, which like a single family house could cost that. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're around like 200 square foot per um, and so like this, the first six that we're doing next year, it's anywhere between 400 square foot all the way to 2,600 square foot. So it's like, there's a big range there. Um, like some cabins can only sleep like two people, but the biggest cabin can sleep like eight to nine people. Oh so, my gosh. That's yeah. awesome. And so you take on investors, you do the build, and then do you turn around and sell them for the investors or then do you manage them? Talk to us a little bit about the whole business yeah, model. Yeah. So that, that we self-manage, um, 
and that, that's that's part of the business model is uh, we take we 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 take on the investor money and then uh, we don't take a development fee. Uh, we, we we're we're a full partner throughout the whole thing. It's a it's a long term play. We don't we don't we're not selling them. So the the hold is about ten years. I I just that's just a pretty round number. Um, if I can refinance, say like at the five year mark, I will. Um, just to give the investors back their money. But um, I think my projections I've done for my last the last three projects were like. Uh, two and a half years to get your money back from when your initial investment from when uh, when they're fully built. So about if it takes about a year to fully build the project, um, three and a half years to get your initial investment back. And that's not including the refinance um, to 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 pull out money, say, if like they want the, another initial investment back, essentially, or we can take that money and go do other projects with it. Um, and also, that doesn't include principal pay down. That doesn't include if if we do want to sell like in 10 years like so yeah they're they're getting their money back four or five times over six times over i would say so <laughs> that's amazing that's absolutely yeah, yeah. amazing so what do you tell people that are trying to get into the short-term rental business do you tell them hey you know go start go do ground up development because it works really really well it's all dependent on your risk and what type of headache you want. Um, like, so because you're getting headaches, it just depends what kind. Yeah, you're for. yeah, yeah. So, uh, like, that was that was the biggest reason why I started the YouTube channel was like to detail every single part. Um, uh, the the ground up is is not as stressful as people find it. I would say the hardest part is just making sure that you have um, a builder, like a, a, a competent builder. Um, that's also comfortable and taken on like, being the main key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, um, another, another thing is like when you're approaching a builder, like, and you're, you're looking to do, maybe if you're just on the, like, if you're just trying to do like what we first did, which is like an 800 square foot cabin, make sure the builder knows that up front. like you're, you're, they might not want to take on a project that small. Um, so yeah, I would say getting into it just making sure that you have a competent builder but also an agent like when you go start to look at land and stuff to make sure that you have an agent that deals specifically in buying and selling land um which we have in this area so like i went to google and just type in like land agent Asheville, and there are there are agents everywhere that only specifically deal in land say if like you're in the rural parts of like the city that you live in so that that's huge it's just like the you can you can leverage all their knowledge all their context when it comes to finding the, the right piece of land access is the biggest thing for us. So making sure that our guest isn't driving like 20 minutes down a gravel road, um, especially if they're arriving at night. So like we, we look at, we look for like properties that are pieces like parcels of land that are attached to like state maintained, like double lane roads and stuff, especially if we're building six cabins. So like the six cabins we're building, ne- uh, the first six we're building next year, that um, all if all those cabins are fully like maxed out on like the amount of guests that can sleep and they're all rented out, um, it can sleep up to 34 people a night, like all six cabins together. So you got to think of like 34 people going up and down a road. It can't be a single lane gravel road. Um, right. So that even even if you're building only one cabin, you got to think of like the guest experience. Like, do, like, do you really want your guests who maybe is arriving at night to be like going up? 20 minutes up a gravel road and they've never been to this cabin and they lose reception. Like, like, so right. it's like, that's the biggest thing when we first look at even building the, the access to the land's important, which means before, like part of the due diligence before we even go under contract is driving out to the land. Cause it, it might look cool 
on on the MLS. It might look cool when we're looking at it with the agent, like on the computer. Uh, when we're looking like at the GIS maps, like the satellite images, but you might not know. Like may, maybe it's just an, like an, it's an absolute terrible commute to even get to the land. Um, so it's very important to drive up there too. That makes so much sense. And so, are you using the same agent and the same builder, like the same team, for all of your builds, or do you find do you bid out all your your projects? So different subs, same builder. I wouldn't say we have an agreement with the builder that we have. It's just like we're we're sort of like we've become his exclusive client because so we we I went to him and I'm like, hey, like twenty four projects next year. Like I'd like to be a priority here, um, yeah. <laughs> which yeah, which makes sense. So um, yeah, we use the same builder, same agent. Um, for the, the last two that we did was the same agent. I'm licensed in this area as well, but, um, it, it, it does help to have someone that only deals in land and like the, the land agent that we use has like experience with like buying and selling uh, for their clients, like up to like under 200 acres. So like our 10 acre parcel isn't really a big deal compared to like some of the larger projects they built. So yeah, same team for the most part, it's just, um, the subs are going to be different because we bid everything out after that. So Alex, can you speak to now that the building is built, you've got your short-term rental built, or maybe you go and buy one. What's, what are some things that you're doing to kind of set yourself apart without giving away the secret sauce, but that, in, you know, know, give it away. <laughs> but that you know <laughs> investors should be thinking about or be aware of, of things they could do in their own short-term rental. Yeah. And uh, playing off the title of this podcast, uh, it, you got to decide if you're if you're going to be work, if you're going to be doing it remote, say like out of state, or if you're, if you're living in the city, uh, you also got to decide if you're going to self-manage compared to if you're going to hand it off to a manager, if you're going to hand it off to a manager. That's easy. You just you give it to them. They handle everything. Um, there are more and more tools that are coming out now that allow remote real estate investors to be able to handle this themselves. Um, a good example of that is like when I, when my wife and I recently went to Tulum, Mexico, I uh, almost everything was handled from my phone, like not, nothing crazy had happened there. So I would say the, if you're going to self-manage, um, which I'd honestly recommend because like right now managers, a good manager will take about like 25 to 30% of gross, which is a lot. I would recommend like trying to do it on your own. Uh, start with the cleaning crew, find a cleaning crew that specifically deals in short-term rentals. If you're just starting out, I wouldn't like go out and try to hire a cleaning crew, like find, find a company that already handle short short-term rentals they're going to be sort of like where the gravel meets the road there the, the cleaning crew helped helps with um like say if something's broken like my cleaning crew will like take a picture and send it to me and i sent it directly to airbnb or wherever i'm renting from um they my calendar directly links to my cleaning crew's calendar so like if there's an update on a booking or like if a um if a new booking comes through it, they automatically see it so uh, i would say cleaning crew number one um have some contacts, say like a plumber, an electrician, like just like three or four contacts there, just in case something does come up at the cabin. The nice cool, the the cool thing about new construction is for about the first year, you don't really have to worry about too much maintenance um, mm -hmm. because the, they are brand new homes. And then on top of that, it's just lever leveraging the technology. Like we we use um, we use a service called Smart BNB that automates all of the messaging. So I'd say 80 percent of my messaging is automated. Um, where like sending, sending in check-in instructions, checking up on the guests, sending out checkout instructions. Um, and then everything like the, the last 15 to 20%, like if, if I do like something, some days will pass where I don't, I don't look at, I will look at the Airbnb app, but it's like some days will pass where I don't even touch my, like 
contact the guests at all because um, they're they're having a good stay without me having to do anything. So um, uh, messaging is important, smart BNB. Um, and then right now we recently started implementing Stay5, which is um, like an online marketing platform um, where it's like an email capture. So like, say if you like go to an airport, you go to um, like a mall, you have to put in like your email address before you have access to the internet. Um, that sort of protects us. Like if they're doing anything like sketchy on our internet, um, that, that, that will protect us, but it also captures their email. It captures everyone's email in the cabin as well. So it's not like one listing. If five people are staying in the cabin, that's five emails there. So you're building an email list there. Um, and then we just re we're going to start remarketing, uh, to these guests who have already stayed with us. And the goal is to be able to take them off of the Airbnb platform and sort of run them through our platform. That way we sort of have more control over the guests, like the, the guests. And also they're going to be paying less in service fees. Cause I, I believe right now, like the service fee on the guest side is like 15% for Airbnb, um, it's which we high, get, yeah. it's, it's getting higher and higher. And it's like, they take 3% from the host, which is not too much, but 15% from the guest. And it, it recently went up like, uh, like a year and a half ago. And like now I like there isn't a, really a week that passes by that we don't get at least like a potential guest sort of complain about the price prior to booking, like they're like them asking for a deal. So that that didn't happen for the first year where we you're renting it out. And it recently started to happen in the last six months where like a lot of people are complaining about the price where we don't really have too much control over it, um, like of, of the service fees. So that sort of really opened my eyes to like, hey, I think we there there has to be a way to sort of start getting like controlling controlling the, the guest experience essentially so totally well i mean I, I feel like it's very similar to a rental car you say oh it's 25 bucks a day and then i'm renting for three days and then you get your bill and it's 700 dollars. you're like wait what yeah, like, like what, how did that happen <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah surcharge yeah. taxes why, why is my, yeah why yeah. is my security deposit more than my rental like yeah yeah <laughs> it's crazy yeah, yeah. well that makes a yeah. ton of sense i think that's freaking genius i think that is absolutely yeah. genius and we were, we were thinking about it like last uh, the the service that we use StayFi recently came out like in the last six months. But we, we're I was trying to figure out how to do that like along because like with any business online or offline like real estate's offline for the most part, um, you have to build a list in some to, in some type of way. Even if you do long term rentals, like building a list, building a wait list is is super important. Um, so that that's our way of building. And like we're essentially getting paid to build our email list here. Um, where it's like the guest is paying us to stay at the cabin and then we get their email. And we're also helping them out because if they do decide to book through us compared to Airbnb, they are saving money on the service fee side. So Yeah, so did you set up a direct website for Oof. you specifically or as a third party? We're building a website right now um, to, to help bring those like people in. So like we're building the list right now. So. But for all of our future cabins, all of that is built into like the, the budgeting and everything. So That is incredible. Man, well, Alex, anything else that folks who are getting into the short-term space should be aware of things, you know, where they, you've seen things go south or sideways for short-term rentals? Uh, when it comes to utilities, make sure that you have, like, when you're purchasing the land, I would say the land is probably the most important part. Uh, making sure that you have access to utilities when it comes to, like, you can like, here we're a little bit, we invest in more rural areas about, like, 15 to 20 minutes away from downtown. Um, so like, like the first cabin that we built, we needed like an electricity easement from the neighbors to be able to run electricity to our property. And it took about like six months to build that, uh, or to get that. We built that entire first cabin with a generator, which is crazy to think about now. 
but uh, thinking about utilities, uh, electricity, internet's a big one, making sure that you have like, even if you're doing satellite internet to like, make sure that like you, you take down the right trees or you know where the internet's going to be at. So when you start building, yeah, making sure, just making sure on the management side, making sure that you are able to, um, the, the right people are in place. So like before you, if you're looking to get into like a specific market, making sure that the builder, like you can find a right builder, you can find the right cleaning crew. Um, that that's going to be super, super important. And just building unique properties. If you're going the building route, what I'm seeing is, and I started this way, like I started with the master leasing thing where it's like you, you rent out a property from a long, like a, an owner and then put it on Airbnb and sort of split the profits there, or at least pay them rent. That's how I started. That's how a lot of people started. That's how I saved money to sort of do the, my first build. Um, but what I'm seeing is, uh, investors, like I'd already mentioned, are coming into these markets and sort of really bidding up the properties, which is driving down returns. And they're just they're purchasing normal properties and just putting them on the market. There isn't any really draw to them or any type of appeal. They're not really unique in any way. So I would say for the listeners to, if you're going to go the building route, to like really focus on building a unique property where the property itself is an experience outside of the city, like the, that the guest is visiting. So that's sort of like my company thesis for the most part is building unique properties that will like draw guests to these properties and sort of set you apart from the thousands of listings in your market. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I, I have yeah. uh, a couple of Airbnbs over in Portugal and we're getting it furnished right now. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's it's awesome. But the, I was chatting with a property manager about furnishing it. And he goes, Michael, I swear to God, if you put a single trolley car picture in your house, it, I'm, I'm not going to work with you because that's what everybody does. Everyone. Portuguese is very famous. Interesting. So you have to set yourself apart. I, I think that makes tons of sense. Absolutely. It makes tons of sense. Yeah. And I mean, you can't it, like, like thinking of that, like before you even like when you're designing the property is super important because like you can't change the structure once it's fully built. Right. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And Alex, my last question for you is how do you think about, or how do you go about getting ahead of political changes or county or ordinance changes? What's the best way to to get informed about that if someone is trying to buy a short term rental? Yeah, I would say number one, uh, look up your your county city zoning laws uh, before you go in there. So in the city of Asheville, currently uh, you can't have vacation rentals, but in the county you can, in the city you can't. So we invest in the county. That sort of helps us a little bit too. Asheville's a drive in city where a lot of our guests who are coming in are uh, driving in; they're not flying in. Um, so they don't mind the 15, 20 minute drive, um, getting ahead, getting ahead of it. It's just like, call up your planning department and just ask them what the zoning laws are. What we do too, on top of that, to protect us is we, um, like, like I said, we, we keep the property separate, um, where we subdivide, where all say like all six of our properties aren't on the same parcel, say if we do need to sell, but we also underwrite our properties as long-term rentals. Like when, when it comes to like, we, we make sure that if we put a long-term rental in our property, that it will be able to cover the mortgage payment or at least break even if not cash flow a couple hundred dollars a month. Um, and that's like that's like plan C when it comes to the vacation rental stuff is underwriting them as a long-term rental, which some hosts might not agree with. Um, but that's just being with me taking on investor money, I need to be like a hunt like very, very conservative when it comes to like plan B, plan C, plan D. So yeah, I think that makes sense. That's yeah. an, that's that's what I've said for years too, because 
you know, I don't know how somebody could disagree with that methodology because you seeing this, this Airbnb going away in numerous cities like Monterey, California, you can't have short-term rentals. So what are you going to do if you just bought a property there? So I don't think right. saying it could never happen here is a, is a realistic uh, adage. Yeah, no, I, I had spoken to um, a host that uh, had like, I think 20, 20 listings in Detroit, where I'm originally from. And uh, the the mayor of Detroit at the time had done an Airbnb ad uh, like he had he had been on an Airbnb ad, like like telling people like hosts and stuff to like essentially come to Detroit, like Airbnb's welcome. And then like a year later, a year later, like Detroit just decides to get rid of Airbnbs. Um, so it's like, it, like you, like Holy you just, crap. yeah. And he had, he, he had, um, worked with the city and I forgot what he had done to sort of grandfather himself in, but, um, yeah, no, you're completely right. There is, as like plan for the worst when it comes to that stuff. Cause like, again, like the, the mayor of the city was on an Airbnb commercial, <laughs> like, and they still, they still change their laws. So, wow. So yeah, it can really happen anywhere. Alex, my, my truly last question for you is how can people find out more about you? Where can they get in touch with you? Where can they come invest with you if that's something you're open to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, t- we're, we're, we're building out. We're, we're growing pretty rapidly right now. So um, if they want to if they want to check out my YouTube channel, it's called Alex Builds. Um, the little icon to find it is like a little tree, a blue tree house. Um, or they can email me directly at alexbuildschannel at gmail.com. So it's a-L-E-X-B-U-I-L-D-S uh, channel C-H-A-N-N-E-L at gmail.com. And I'm, I'll be, I'll answer any questions that anyone has. So Fantastic. Well, man, this was absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on and taking the time. Really appreciate it. And uh, oh. curious to see how this next build turns out. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Michael. Alrighty, everybody. That was our episode. A big, big, big thank you to Alex. Uh, I hope I wasn't being too, too much of a fanboy the whole time. I was like, what this guy is doing is unbelievable. So definitely go back, give this episode another listen to if you're at all considering getting into short-term rentals. If you like the episode, feel free to leave us a rating or review wherever it is listening to your podcast. We look forward to seeing you on the next one. As always, happy investing.